Nurse.com is proud to be a sponsor of the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. As the premier destination for nursing knowledge and resources, Nurse.com supports your passion for healthcare with an unrivaled collection of tools, articles, and courses tailored for the nursing community. Get your daily dose of things you need to know for your nursing journey. Discover the world of nursing like never before with Nurse.com. Empower your practice, advance your career, and enrich your knowledge. Nurse.com. It's your nurse life all in one place. See, that's a big question since I've been in uh, colorectal health. The rule is uh, the NIDDK, which uh, sets uh, talks about how frequency and poop is. The defini- definition is if you have three or less poops a week and those poops come out kind of hard, that's really the constipation. But if you have a poop that comes out three times a week, but it's soft and formed and you feel finished, and uh, then that's good. And then uh, the amount, like I did a TikTok on you're full of poop. And uh, how much should you poop? You could poop anywhere from a quarter pound to one pound, depending on how much you eat and how fast your gut moves. You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist, family nurse practitioner, and chief nursing officer at nurse.org. So I am really excited about uh, today's episode. And let me just give you a little backstory, which is as to why I'm excited. Not only is she cool, but uh, some personal reasons here. You know, as a nurse, we're expected to know a lot about health and wellness and things like that. So when I go to my annual wellness appointment, I come in pretty informed, able to have pretty a collegial conversation almost with my provider. For those of you who don't know, uh, last year I had my uh, colonoscopy for my colon cancer screening and things like that. And everything checked out good. And while everything checked out good, I still got asked a lot of questions about my poop. And I was just thinking to myself, but I have my colon colonoscopy. I should be good. And I'll be honest, I don't necessarily look at my poop every day. I just go and then I wipe, clean, flush, wash my hands, and then I go on about my day. And so, but it really made me think about my poop. And let's be honest, we don't always sit around talking about our poop. We may focus on the patient's poop. We'll ask, did you have a bowel movement today? And maybe depending on their medical condition, we'll ask some other questions. But I thought that this was a missed opportunity. So I thought, you know what, let's dive in deep, not really in poop, but in poop and talk more about it. So I'm really excited about today's guest. Um, her name is Nurse Susan Wong. Guys, you guys have seen her. She's all over social media. She's super uber famous. She has, well, let me back up. So she's she graduated from UCSF. She's been a nurse for over 40 years. She's worked in a variety of settings, including surgical, dialysis, colorectal, and she was actually an important team member when it came to the groundbreaking of the UCSF colorectal clinic. So guys, she is the poop expert. In fact, she's been dubbed the rear admiral and the butt whisperer by her coworkers. You've got to check her out. She has a show on YouTube called Butt Talks TV. It's super informational. You can let your guard down and it's not like someone in a white lab coat just talking to you sternly. You really get your everyday questions, some that you think might be silly to ask, answered on our show. So please welcome to the show, Nurse Susan Wong. Hi. Or should I, uh, Hello, should I, Alicia. Should I salute the rear admiral here? No, no, no. <laughs> call me, call me, Al, uh, call me Susan. I'm about to say, call me Alice. 
looking at you. Oh, oh my well, God, I'm nervous. No, no. You know what? I, actually, I'm. You know, it's for you to hear you say that. That is refreshing because many people are nervous to talk about their poop. We're afraid people are going to judge us. And quite honestly, people are like, it's just poop. It doesn't like it's not important. But when in fact, our poop can tell us a lot about our health, right? So before we jump into things, if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself, how you got into nursing and how you chose this specialty and how you became dubbed the butt whisperer and the rear admiral. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's a a long history, Alice. Thank you for asking. So, you know, it started even before I thought of getting into nursing. I'm an older sister of a seven-year-old younger brother. So back in those days, there was a lot, lot of poop around me. And my mother expected me to help. So I saw a lot of my brother's poop and I saw the difficulties of her dealing with cloth diapers. And so my poor mother would just be washing those diapers by hand in the toilet and then trying to put them in in the tub. And the poor woman was just having so much work to do. And of course, you know, you had to be involved, but fast forward, I end up having my own son who later in our lives, modern day, we were able to use disposable diapers. And so, but I was already a nurse before he came around. And so with my over 40 plus years of nursing, we have a very general education and that involved nursery, pediatrics, inpatient, outpatient. And I definitely spent enough time in all those settings and worked as a nurse's aide during my school year so I could be getting more hands-on experience. And a lot of times they'll put me in the nursery or uh, postpartum. And so I was having a wonderful time implementing what I was learning at the time and applying it to be, I wanted to be that well-rounded nurse. And I was just getting into it. So it really excited me about taking care of patients Part of my training was uh, had a, had a public health program in this my program at UC, and that was one of the few last ending baccalaureate programs at UC. And they soon after phased it out, but I just found a wealth of information that I was able to work in both the university hospital and the community hospital. And during my time when I worked at the registry, I focused a lot on the community hospital because I felt like I was getting an Ivy Tower opinion of nursing, that people come in with these tertiary problems. And just to take care of the basic illnesses was not as much emphasized as it was in another, maybe a community college setting. So with having that both extremes, I still found both settings to be helpful and being trained in an in a academic environment, I respected all my professors teaching me, you know, clinical data is very important. You have to have a clinical data supported evidence when you say something. And so that grounded me in how t- I present myself in, in my work and also on social media is that I research my topic to make sure I'm conveying the right information to my, the public in both the clinical setting and in social media. So I you know, stand by my information uh, that it's accurate to the best of my knowledge. And then as a role of a nurse, you have a lot of contact with the patients. So you're the first person they talk to. 
either by phone and in the intake, taking their vital signs, you learn so much about them. And so that uh, nursing, as I was working the inpatient, outpatient, inpatient med surge is very grueling. You know, I worked a lot of night shifts and a lot of, you know, I'm the low man on the totem pole. So I had a lot of call and weekend. And so, you know, you pay your dues. And so after a while I said, hmm, I could get specialized in something to get out of this, you know, what hole. <laughs> it's like the poop hole, you know? <laughs> and so, so I decided to go on dialysis and I did nine years of dialysis and I saw the importance of diet, how it interfered with the poor diet can interfere with the person's uh, success in getting a good dialysis treatment and also in maintaining their wellness during the time when they're not getting their treatments. And then uh, we talked a lot about nutrition. We had a nutritionist there. So the importance of nutrition. I spoke Cantonese and I spoke some Spanish and I'm just going down the aisle going, you know, senor, usted uh, bebe mucho uh, agua, no es no, it's, no, it's a boy, no, you know, and then I'm going on the other end of the room going, hey, uh, uh, tai tai. so you're going, well, ah, you know, <laughs> by the time I was done with my shift, I was like exhausted just here besides my legs and manually taking all these blood pressures because they're bombing. <laughs> and so I'm going, <laughs> that's an exhausting job, but I was young, so I had the energy to keep moving. And so, uh, yeah, so then we go into that scene. And then I said, I'm just running around in circles in this clinic, you know, this dialysis clinic. And I said, I think I saw a perioperative program. I think I want to learn that. And then uh, I talked to one of the vascular surgeons. He goes, why do you want to go to the perioperative program? All these surgeons are, you know, <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, I know that, but I want to explore more of the body. So I went through a program at UC in that. I worked in the OR for nine years, went through all spectrums of brain surgery, everything, breast, cancer, you named it. I did it all. So I just kept chucking. And then pretty soon, you know, you have a kid and you say, this body ain't going to keep up with this craziness. And so, you know, got giving away call and you go, I can't take this. No, no, I got to stay home. And uh, yeah, you know how that goes. And so I decided to dial back and go into clinical nursing. And I thought, oh man, I sound like I'm going to retire here. Because I always thought clinical nursing was so low key. And, but it turns out to be the most rewarding and autonomous setting that you get to intake the patient and you go, okay, you triage them and you go, okay, you know, I think it's important that you do come in and we'll get you an appointment. And then I was parked in the colorectal department, which is the pelvic physiology. We were run by residents and doctors. And so they didn't have like the JACO standards up to par. They don't know how to change the formaldehyde. They're like throwing the catheters around in the room and no one's ordering anything. And I go, this needs to change. Some housekeeping and some house rules need to be put down. So, so I got to learn the equipment, how wonderful and, and beneficial it was. 
because now a lot of GI problems is very subjective. And so subjective needs to be supported by objective data. And the equipment that we use was very helpful to watch both the upper GI with manometries and the lower GI to see rectal manometry. And so these tracings of our muscles really helped us identify and pinpoint more of where the problems can be. We can't solve it all, okay? But we're able to at least help the patient understand besides ourselves, what's really going on? Why do you sit down and you feel like you got poop and nothing comes out, right? So, hey, guess what? There are x-rays for that. There's training for that. Or why can't I hold my poop all the time? Very common questions that come up. And so you start to recognize, oh, wow, their diets really don't match very well. You know, they just had their gallbladder move and they're just still partying on like it's nothing had happened and they're having diarrhea stools. And so these things all play in the picture where I said, where's the intake form? We need to make an intake form of diet and bowel habits. And, you know, of course, I dive into all the readings and I said, yeah, that's the way it should be. So let's put it together. And those things just grew out of like, just getting your house in order, you know? You can't be washing like one instrument and expect to run the whole day on the, that one instrument. And what if that one instrument breaks down? So you gotta make sure we could talk to management for more equipment or supplies. Yeah, we gotta take charge of this. So we can't be doing things like a, one, one fork, one knife for the whole day, you know? If we got 20 customers in the restaurant. <laughs> so it sounds like you as the nurse really kind of got the house in order, put some house rules in, got people organized, got these doctors in order about like, hey, this is how it's gonna go. You got a, an intake, you know, an intake form so you can streamline the process. See nurses, this is what we do. I mean, we, we're great at taking you know, patient, direct patient care, but we're also instrumental in getting things organized. So there's a good workflow for not only ourselves and our team members, but also for the patient. So they can get in, get what they need and get on out. Not that we're kicking them out, but you know what I'm saying. We're trying to just get them through so they're not spending the whole day with us. And we're not running around from this room to that room to over here. And, you know, we got to know what's going on. Right. And then, you know, taking interviews, like sending them questionnaires before they come in. So we're not spending an hour interviewing them in the room and then still got a procedure. Now your hour's up. You're like, oh, I didn't get half of my work done. So streamlining is the correct word, Alice. And as time moves on, we are doing computer work. We could triage them through that. Now we have Zoom. COVID really kicked into the hospital that, hey, a visit on, uh, on Zoom can help in these times of COVID. And that can really at least reassure the patient that they're being heard and that they're being followed. And so a lot of times if anxiety don't bring you in, a major problem will bring you in. So these are ways, tools that we've learned to use better. It's all been an improvement and then sharing medical records through Epic that has helped. And that also gave consistency that we're not finding well, you're here for a colon screening, but where's your colonoscopy? And, you know, it's like trying to find that piece of paper and making sure that we get these records done before we even see you. Right. And I, th and I think that's important. And if I can bring in my personal experience. So I'm anemic. And so what my doctor, we we're just trying to work up, you know, figure out 
why why are you so anemic and you know trying to figure out what's happening now and and just to share and i'm okay with sharing this it actually ended up to be related to my menstrual cycle but they thought you know what my primary was like well let's go refer you to gi i end up having a colonoscopy and endoscopy and all these things but they asked me a lot a lot a lot a lot of questions before before i even got there so when i got there for my procedure i was able to get in and kind of get out which i really appreciated so streamlining is very important but let me just go ahead and pivot back to kind of the GI stuff, because you are definitely the expert when it comes to, I don't want to say just poop, because it's more than poop. It's our, you know, our GI system. So I'm, I'm sure in all your years of experience and wisdom, you probably know every single thing. But let me just ask, why are people so hesitant to talk about their poop? Why does poop not like rank high on the list when it comes to our health? Because we talk about our heart. We'll talk about our eyes and other things. And I know those are instrumental for important bodily functions, but our poop is also very important. I don't think we understand that. So tell us more. So why, what's the whole deal with people and their poop? Why are we afraid or shy to talk about it? I think it's a learned process from their upbringing. It's considered dirty and uh, we don't talk about anything below our waist or in the pelvic area. You know, Uh, we don't talk about sexual pain intercourse pain, pain with urination, pain with pooping. I think we just learned that through the years. And like as being a, a new mother, I said, nobody gave me the handbook on how to be a parent. And so uh, I think that people just continue to pass that behavior along. And so that's just a learned process. So having that platform to talk about poop on TikTok and YouTube is just kind of bring out that subject, say, hey, you're not alone and it's okay to talk about it. And so many people walk into my office and say, I've hidden this from my family and friends for all my adult life. So that is a, why is it? That's a big question. And sometimes I, I, in my book, I talk about toilet training and how toilet training could be either a positive experience or a negative experience. And so, Kids are expected to learn their poop before they go into preschool and by three and if they don't have it and they're kind of, you know, scorned or the teacher might make a big deal about it or the aides or somebody say, Johnny just peed in and pooped in his pants without telling us. And so they're shamed early on and that becomes kind of a brand on them. And so they don't like it. And then I dealt with a lot of school kids until we had the pediatric hospital built. We always had the pediatric floor at UC, but they had the uh, hospital built for pediatrics. So we had more pediatric-focused hospitalizations and care. But during the time, not a lot of people knew where to, the referring doctors didn't know where to send their young people to get tested for their pooping issues. And so I was able to have that privilege to see the patients around five, seven, even during uh, high school years, I was able to have a few of those patients. And I had no, you know, I'm a mother and I'm a professional and I could handle this. So it didn't faze me that I was dealing with the small persons versus the older person and you could set that small person's mind in being more healthier about their attitudes of pooping and just be gentle and teach them the basics about pooping and you know echoparesis where they're just holding their poop and they're afraid to go in the 
bathroom at school, doors are not there. And that's why I did a lot of those, you know, how to find that perfect toilet and try to make yourself that experience and be a positive one. And even having to get the pediatric social worker in to write notes to the school, we have to do this. And teaching parents how to be a better provider when it comes to nutrition, not letting the kids just eat what they want. And I say, hey, you know, you go through the stages of development. You know, we're all over the child at infant and toddler and young school age, but when they become an adolescent, we kind of let them go, you know? And then they start developing these habits of eating pizza and a lot of fast food or Red Bull without knowing what they're doing to themselves. And then they might turn into young adults, going to college, being nervous is crazy about school or, or going on their first job and still don't know how to prepare a healthy meal. So basic nutrition is quite lacking in this country and food adequacies are quite lacking. So I address that in my visits like, hey, you know, I don't care if you have $5 a day for your food allowance or $10, but here's some things you should have stocked in your pantry or in your house. And I talk about that in the book. And then I also talk about how food preservatives have gotten into our foods and changed our diets. So when you change the basic of what goes in to the body, your pooping will be much better and your attitude about your own poop will be better. So we learn early on, whether it's cultural, society, but that poop is dirty. Because even I'm thinking back, like when we change diapers, we make faces like, ooh, stinky, stinky. And even though we're just playful mm -hmm. with the baby, we've already shown them early signs that poop is stinky, poop is bad. Ugh. And like even how we hold it and dispose it in the trash can, how we handle it, we're establishing a behaviors and patterns and expectations of poop is bad. I never thought about that till you said that. And then that would make sense why we don't talk about it in our household. And even scorning children when we're trying to potty train them about, you know, their poop and their pee. And as we punish them, you know, for having an accident, that can really even further diminish the want to even talk about it. Cause like, oh my gosh, I don't want to talk about poop. Poop is dirty. If I accidentally have a poop or say I have to poop, I'm going to get in trouble. You know, the mindset around our poop needs to change. And you brought up a very good point. If you change what you take in, you'll change what you take out or what you'll change what comes out. But even as an adult, and let's say this as a nurse, I'm, I may ask the ask my patient the question, did you have a bowel movement today? And it's just yes or no. And I don't necessarily go into further questioning about what did it look like? Did it float? Did it sink? Did it stink? Was the color, the texture or any of these things? I don't know why I don't, I don't necessarily do that all the time. Now, if a patient's there for like C. diff or something specific, like a GI bleed, I know to ask those things, but even just on the preventative side, which I think we really should get, get back to that. What are some things that we should know about our poop? What does a healthy poop look like? So good question. So we could also have in our offices, if the patient comes in, is the poop chart. So is that the Bristol um, chart? I made up that Bristol stool chart just to identify what your poop is, because that's a conversation opener. I actually have the poop chart in my little studio in the bedroom, but it is wonderful. I use that in the book. I use it in the YouTube. I was gonna put it, I talk about it in the uh, TikToks. You know, trademarks is a little 
difficult. So I had to change the Bristol out of it because, you know, I'm not a, I didn't get, I didn't pay for that copyright. Okay. So I'm going to call it the poop chart, you know? And so, but those things help us identify it. And actually we uh, developed an app. And so I'm trying to get that going. I still got all these TikToks to shoot, but they're in this dream. Like I, like I've been doing them, but we want to do them all so I could have it uh, launch that. That's a first premiere. You've heard about that. But yeah, so uh, the app, there's a lot of apps out there to help you. And that really helps open up the conversation. And some of those tools have been helpful for me when I say to the patient, I can't keep everything in order for you, but there are some apps out there and that's going to be helpful for you to map it. Because young people, and even myself, I'm, I'm trying to get into a sleep clinic and they told me to log my sleep habits and i'm thinking oh my god I, I i yeah i might be laying around worrying about things before i fall asleep and then i fall asleep and then mother nature takes over and calls you to go pee and you go damn why did i have that tea before i went to bed and then so you're disrupted and then also being a mother being a mother changed my whole sleep pattern so i you know, I, I'm such a light sleeper these days, but I, I put it upon myself to keep focus on things that can help me in my problem, just like I'm teaching the public how to focus on pay attention to their problem and say to themselves, this person is telling me there's a solution to this problem and she's giving me tools and she's also teaching me how to identify those poops. And so when you have that conversation, like the poop chart, or you can even bring it up. I carry that in the clinic and I go, okay, you guys, which poop do you have today? Because nobody knows how to explain it right, right? Oh, yeah. And I think that's probably a sense of embarrassment. I feel embarrassed that I'm asking the patients, well, was it liquidy? Was it hard? Was there an odor? Like, I almost feel embarrassed to actually have to ask this question because the patient feels can feel very self-conscious about their poop because again, and that's why I kind of ask what's a healthy poop because sometimes we don't know. We just, and again, we've been, our culture has made us to think like poop is bad. I shouldn't even be looking at it. So like when people wipe and they look, I'm like, no, I get you looking is good, but they're like, oh no, I'm like, it's sinful to look at your poop or something. Like you're not, yeah. when you take that tissue and like, yeah, you're supposed to look. And I'll say this, there have been patients who, because they have looked, have identified a problem. They said, you know what? My stool was very black and tarry. And, you know, when I was wiping, I could, it's like I kept wiping and wiping, it wouldn't come away. But had they not looked, they would not have known. And we don't have Bristol stool charts everywhere, but I like the idea of having that as a, an icebreaker or an opener. That way the patient doesn't feel self-conscious. I looked at the Bristol stool chart before we got on, on our interview here. I was like, hmm. And I looked at my last couple poops. Yes, I did. I said it, guys. I looked at my last couple poops and I'm like, okay. And I think I was close to like a, a three. And I, if I understand mm -hmm. three or four, you guys will have mm -hmm. to look at the Bristol mm -hmm. chart. We'll put one up yeah. on the website so you can see it. But it's important yeah. to look at this because I, I finally was like, okay, this is what a poop is supposed to look like. Because yeah. I didn't yeah. really know until the chart what a poop is supposed yeah. to look like. Nobody told you. I didn't learn that in school. My parents didn't tell me what a poop's supposed to look like. And if I'm eating different foods and my poop is looking different based on what I'm eating, What's that poop supposed to look like? So you mentioned right. our diet. Our diet can change our poop. How so? So the pigmentation from the chlorophyll 
make a green poop, which we talked about in our YouTube and TikTok. I did a lot of TikToks on, oh, my poop is red, or, oh my God, why is there corn in my poop? You know, why is my poop black? And so they're, you know, all colors of the rainbow, most of them. So we first start with normal poop should look like brown and normal poop should have an odor. Those are the basics. What kind of odor? Like, are we talking about, because like the smell just slaps you in your face. No. Like, that yeah. kind of odor? No, or no, like that's, a no, no. The odor, depending on what you eat, yeah, it has, it could be a very mild odor or it could be almost come to odorless to a brief odor and then you flush and there's not this room of lingering odor that's still in the room like you knew someone had pooped they left a uh, half an hour ago and it still smells like it <laughs> so yeah. those, we hear those we smell down the hallway of... in the hospital we're like there was a code brown somewhere over here i don't know who it is but you can yeah. smell it in the hallway a healthy poop shouldn't smell that strong no no it's a mild smell it could go away after you know a brief you just wave the door a few times before you leave the room and you know leave the door open so it dissipates it's okay and if you really feel like we used to have these little peppermint pull-up sticks deodorant in the bathroom and then someone said we couldn't do that from the hospital and i go oh brother and then i just wear nice perfume when i work so i could smell myself more than the poop and someone said oh you smell good i said thank you <laughs> that's for me right some units where we work we actually had like a coffee grounds we would just bring like yes. a, a little container with coffee grounds and we'd sit it in the area so at least coffee most people are it's not offensive to most people so we're like oh bring the coffee in here I'm saying this out of fun, but sometimes, you know, we would say, oh my gosh, someone just blew up the bathroom because the smell was yeah. so strong, but it sounds like mm -hmm. that's related to the food that they're eating. What kind of foods or mm -hmm. disease process would cause your stool to be that strong? What can I, and what can I yeah. do to fix that? So sometimes uh, rancid comes from fats, like oils and fatty foods, and even some like artificial sugar, they change the composition of the poop odor. And also if they don't poop often, it's fermentation, you know? I remember microbiology, we did a poop culture uh, experiment and our professor had us uh, smear some poop on the Petri dish and incubate it and we came back the next lab day and we opened it and go, whoa, 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 this, this room stinks. So poop ferments and breaks down and there's the methane gas. And then uh, I also talked about stinky farts and TikTok, like uh, from an egg yolk, sulfur. And so as you cook an egg, the protein becomes harder and it turns more sulfury odor. And I talked about that and that got a lot of views that people were sending them right and left to everybody they know. Some people say, I'm not gonna stop eating my egg yolks. And you know, so it's a big conversation opener. So poop odor is controlled by foods, the type of foods you eat, the frequency of pooping, and sometimes there's bacteria infection. So you have to, if it really goes on with the other symptoms of nausea, maybe a little fever or, constant you know you gotta look for h pylori you know you gotta look for various bacteria that can be caused so you always say hey did you get a stool culture can you check for a fat content in your poop maybe you're not di 
digesting your food and your poop is actually still got a lot of fat in it. So those are things that the G I leave it to the GI people to do, but to tell them, please get that checked out. And then I also say frequency. That's a big question since I've been in uh, colorectal health. The rule is uh, the NIDDK, which uh, sets, uh, talks about how frequency and poop is. The defini definition is if you have three or less poops a week and those poops come out kind of hard, that's really the constipation. But if you have a poop that comes out three times a week, but it's soft and formed, and you feel finished, and uh, then that's good. And then uh, the amount, like I did a TikTok on you're full of poop, and uh, how much should you poop? You could poop anywhere from a quarter pound to one pound, depending on how much you eat and how fast your gut moves. And so I said, in the end, we're all full of poop because the colon is full of stool. It's processing. You're just pooping out the very end of it, which is inside your rectum. And so part of my uh, poop science uh, endeavors with my uh, career, we measured sizes of rectums. So sizes of rectums can be help us determine why these people are pooping so little or so much. And uh, those are part of, uh, to study the frequency of the poop is we watch the transit time. And that's uh, could be done by a test called Smart Pill Cam or SITS Marker. And I don't know what's been going on for the longest time. We can't seem to get the SITS Marker study done very easily. And so, but that's the old gold standard that you could use the SITS Marker to see how the markers are traveling through the colon. And the pattern tells us whether it's a problem with the colon moving things, or is it uh, a problem that it all lands at the base that they don't know how to poop it out. So those are types of conversation of what type of constipation do they have? Do they have slow transit or do they have pelvic floor problem, pelvic dysinertia? So those are reasons why someone can be constipated. It's not necessarily that they're dehydrated mm -hmm. or diet, but they can actually have muscular problems in there mm -hmm. that are not allowing it to move forward. Okay. Wow. I didn't know that. I know people who are listening have personal questions about their own poop and then most of us are health <laughs> professionals. So we want to make sure we ask them the patient the right questions, but let me just and ask, ask my question. <laughs> so when someone has a lot of gas, like they're passing a lot of gas, my mom used to always tell me, well, go, you need to go to the bathroom. You need to poop. Is there any truth to that? Like if you're passing a lot of gas that someone yeah. needs to poop? Yeah. Yeah. It could be that you, you're passing gas and you may not recognize some, that gas actually starts to stimulate that lower rectum to open. And it could be that, like I said, with a Petri dish, you might have poop in there. So try to go ahead and poop it out and see if anything comes out. But the one problem, people get gas, they keep pushing, wanting to push it out. And that over time weakens your pelvic muscles and it could even change your rectal structure. So that we don't encourage that because, you know, like I said, over 20 plus years, you see a lot of people that some of them you see for many times and many years as things progress and you go, oh Lord, I could see that they didn't do anything about their problem. Now they come back and they got a more serious problem. 
So taking heed to try to start early to do some prevention can make things a lot easier. And I actually just finished writing a script about that. So I'm oh, going to have wow. to film that. That's good. Now, when you said you, earlier, you said something else. Sometimes we don't feel finished. Is there an approximate mm-hmm. time on how quickly a stool should pass? Like, cause I know, I know some people who spend like an hour, like they're like, I get, they get totally naked. They sit on the toilet and they're like there for an hour and they're allowing it to pass. Some people, they wait till they have that urge to go. They run in, drop it. And then boom, they're out like real fast. Like what is the healthy way to evacuate our poops? The literature says to kind of put the feet up a little bit where your knees are above your hips, about 35 degrees. So that's where a little lift of uh, feet up on a, like a, a bench. I don't want to promote names, but you know, I even tell patients to use, you know, my older patients, they don't, they don't shop internet and they don't pay attention to that. But I say you could put a little bench, no higher than 10 inches. I'll have a tape measure to show them from the floor. And we have little stools that help our patients come up on the table. And I said, how do you feel about that? You know, cause I have to retrain them. And then I said, do you feel better leaning forward or do you feel better sitting back? And depending on how the rectum is structured, because uh, there's angles to the rectum too. When you go in there, you go, oh, <laughs> it's like, it's not straight, it's not a straight tube. It's angles up to anterior and some of them angle more. And so you gotta like tell them if your poop is moist and full because it's filled up the rectum and you're packaging your diet where you've got both protein, fiber, and uh, water with it, then you're moving this little package down the conveyor belt. And so that little package will form up the next poop and they collect. And yet as it forms up, the rectum holds its capacity where it finally reaches where I can't hold it anymore. And that urge comes and the muscles opening up and the rectum kind of compresses on the poop and lets it fall out. And you don't have to engage on all the muscle stuff of pushing. Some people still feel that they have to push a little. And I say, you do one, two, three, you push a little and you stop and kind of let the rectum do its thing. But some people have to poop under stressful times quickly. And so I say, well, angulation might help you poop a little faster. There's so many factors, Alice, that comes into it. Like if you're on iron, your poop is going to change up. If you're on calcium, your poop is going to change up. If you're on verapamil, you go, what the heck? And you, it's the medicines that changes up the gut and the poop quality. Right. That's important for us as nurses to know, because I think most of us, we're just thinking, oh, you're dehydrated. You're not having a good diet. Not realizing that there are certain medications often that we give our patients that could actually influence, you know, their poop in the difficulty. And then, you know, I just, I don't know why I didn't realize that a patient may have, like, as you said, pelvic muscle issues that influence the ability to move things forward. So these are all things that we as nurses should keep in mind when it comes to helping our patient. I think the first thing we tell them is drink water and walk, which, you know, is Mm -hmm. helpful for getting things going. But I think it's more than that. And this has really opened our eyes to uh, a lot of those conversations because now I'm thinking, Oh, putting the feet up just a little bit can help, you know, facilitate. So yeah, it's just using, you know, getting into the right position or angle to help facilitate movement out. That's a simple fix that we as nurses can do. 
Um, and even ourselves, right. thinking, do I have like a little shoebox I could probably put my feet on? Yeah, anything to just elevate the knees slightly above. And those are all been, you know, papers, research has done, seen all that, x-rays have seen that. And then in, and then when you poop it out, you can look at it. And if it's a brown poop, you'd know that you scored well. If a lucid poop from type one to uh, type seven, I talk about it in my TikTok, the app will lead you and so is the YouTube. I always say, okay, Instagram people look back to uh, YouTube and see, really learn, because TikTok, you only have like 15 seconds to pass that info and it's just tidbits. And the YouTube, yeah, YouTube, people lose interest after eight minutes and everybody's so used to quick information as I am an older person. I can see people don't want to read anything too much and, you know, they want quick intake. And I think the intake is about three minutes, really, like in education. How long can you hold a person's attention? It's about three minutes. Well, I think you've been doing a great job at holding people's attention. In fact, you're on uh, you're on social media. I know you have tons of TikToks. You have, I mean, I don't even know, millions, thousands of viewers on there following you. And then you have your Butt Talks TV, uh, which you have on YouTube. So you can also watch videos there. But then, Susan, you also have a new book, The Power of Pooping, A Cheeky Diet and Lifestyle Guide to End Constipation, Transform Your Health. You definitely have something for all the different types of learners because I, I could talk to you all day about poop, literally. Guys, we can't have her forever. So you guys have to follow her on all her social media, watch her YouTubes and check out our book. But Susan, before we let you go, because you've been such a wealth of knowledge, talk to us a little bit more about your book. And because we want to know, you know, where is it? How can we find it? How can we buy it? So we okay. can continue the okay. conversation and learn more so we can be better, not right. only better nurses, but better for our own ourselves and our families. Right. So it's on Amazon. You can pre-order it. Target has it. Borders has it online. And you just type in the power of pooping and it's up there. And uh, I hope that a lot of people read it because I really go from not just about poop. I really go through the history of how food has influenced our pooping. And, and then I have a, fict a fictitious character in there. So it's like our case study and people might recognize Oh, that's me. That's me before COVID hit. I was like getting out of the house and just grabbing what I could eat. If not, I just grabbed what's at the office and I got so much to work. I got to drive for hours. I got meetings galore and your body over time just gets so tense. And then when you kind of have time to relax, you don't even know how to relax. And so those things come up. And then I also define the give information on laxatives, what's out there and how they work. I talk about some great recipes you could do to kind of help yourself be, kind of put stuff in the pantry, because I love to cook. And I uh, gave some insight of my own personal upbringing of food and how it could bring wealth to your bowel movements. And uh, then all the tests. I think a lot of people are going, oh my god what's all this mean because every time you see it you really don't know a doctor might say hey or nurse practitioner or somebody else tell you you need a colonoscopy and you know colonoscopies aren't always so approved by insurance so quickly but people do need them at any time of their life 
We have children who have family hereditary illnesses that require GI illness that required they get colonoscopies early on. And that was one of the case studies of my practice where I had a family who had, we had treated the grandmother, the son, and then we were, I was seeing the child because they all had to have colonoscopies because it's the familial GI disease. And so it just was, you know, mother was already treated by one of the colorectal guys and the son was being operated and had a J pouch. And now the kids had three kids and they had to undergo colonoscopies. Can you imagine how dreadful that was for these children? And they're very scarred by it. And only that one who refused to poop didn't have the gene for the genetic illness. So I had to work with him for a while. And so, you know, then you hear all this insurance stuff that, oh, you know, we're not paying for this and all that. And you just want to tear your hair out. But they came from about two hours drive to come into the hospital. But we did as best we could to help them. And people are basically going financial bankruptcy because of this problem. And so we are like an advocate for everybody to like get your shit in order and don't be ashamed to talk about it. Literally. Oh my gosh, Susan, thank you so much. You are definitely an inspiration, you know, when it comes to colorectal <laughs> health. I, Cause I don't know that we've really had an advocate or someone so welcoming and easy and less stressful to talk about our bowel health and our other colorectal health. So thank you so much. You're an expert. We love you so much, Susan. Can you tell us real quickly, can you remind people of your website, your TikTok, so we can follow you? What are they? Yeah. So, so uh, the YouTube is uh, Butt Talks TV and the TikTok is Butt Talks. So sometimes you can put TV in there. Sometimes you don't have to. And the book is called The Power of Pooping. And so that's it. And Nurse Wong. And I'm still there on Instagram too. You know, in the hospital, I'm so used to answering that whole pan, whole board of questions from Apex that I'm kind of used to it. <laughs> and my, my patients are calling me, uh, writing to me from all over the world. And that's so flattering. Yeah. I have emails from Germany, Romania, Philippines. Uh, Japan, UK, Canada, Australia, US. And it's pretty amazing how so many people, Iran, so many people are writing to me and I write back, I respect their culture because there's cultural things that goes on. And there's so many styles of toilets everywhere in the world. There's so many styles of bidets. So it's a big, it's a, this is why I realized the time is, it's been going on so many years because the subject is endless. You could talk about this forever. Yeah, because you got to poop. It's something that's going to happen every day. People are going to have questions about it. And thank you for creating a platform that allows people to talk about these things that have somewhat been taboo or they've been shamed to not talk about them. And maybe they don't feel like they need to necessarily make a primary visit with their healthcare provider to ask these couple of questions. You've helped change 
so many lives uh, around the world, I'm sure. Your videos are interesting. They're funny. They're engaging. They're informative. So thank you so much, Nurse Susan, for being on the show. We really appreciate you guys. Make sure to support her. Follow her on all social. Check out our book, The Power of Pooping, A Cheeky Diet, and Lifestyle Guide to End Constipation and Transform Your Health. I think some nursing school should add this to the curriculum, by the way, just throwing that out there. You should make this part of your reading for some of your students. And we also need to, should support our nurses, our nurse authors, our nurse yeah. entrepreneurs. So that'd be great too. So Susan, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. You guys, I'm Nurse Alice. I love talking to you about anything and everything nursing and healthcare related. Please make sure to share this episode. I know for a fact, if you have a friend, a colleague, a classmate, a coworker, a neighbor, someone who needs to know this information, sharing is caring. So please do that. Make sure to support the podcast by leaving a review, like, you know, leave your comment. If you want to email the show and let us know what you think, please email me at nursealice at nurse.org. Otherwise, it's always my pleasure. Thank you for your support. And until next time, guys, please, please, please continue to make good choices, be kind to one another and live well, my friends. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.